Hi, it's Lou. I just wanted to let you know about the Patreon membership I've started. It's a great community where I'm able to offer members privileges, like helping you to write letters and other advocacy activities that I can help with. And it's a place where you can offer suggestions for episode topics and guests. It only costs a minor amount each month, but it will help me to keep this podcast going and allow us to work together to help our kids, students, clients, the square pegs essentially. And that's the reason we're all here after all. Am I right? The link is in the show notes and the Facebook group. It's patreon.com forward slash square peg round hole. And the word hole is spelt with a W. Then as many of you know as well, I have a Facebook page, again spelt square peg round hole with a W for the hot word hole. There's a private group, there's a public page and more recently I have launched a new website and the URL for that is www.squarepegroundhole.com.au. On the new website, there'll be transcripts, there'll be resources, episodes, advocacy projects, and obviously a link to Patreon and more. So thank you very much, everyone. Thank you all so much for your support. Bye for now. Three wonderful, wonderful Patreon members uh, to add to my uh, growing group of supporters. Thank you so much, everybody. Michelle, you finally found patreon.com. Thank you so much. You know I know who you are. Thank you so much for, for helping me out with this. Um, Kaz, you're another naughty one. Um, I gave Kaz some hand-me-down clothes <laughs> for her son, or the school uniforms, and she's sneakily trying to thank me uh, in this way. So thank you very much, Kaz. So appreciated. You really didn't need to do that. <laughs> you already gave me a bottle of wine. Um, and Eleanor, thank you, Eleanor. Thank you, guys, all of you. You're just brilliant, and I really appreciate the support. Thank you. I would like to acknowledge that this podcast meeting is being held on the traditional lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and pay my respect to Elders, both past, present and future, and to welcome you to this new episode for podcast Square Peg Round Hole. Welcome to Square Peg Round Hole, the podcast where we discuss diversity and how to embrace our neurodivergent kids at home, at school and in the workplace. Today we're talking to Georgina Perry from Spelled and we are talking about learning differences and learning disabilities. Welcome to the podcast, Georgina. Lou, it's great to be here. I'm so glad to have you here. Now, what do I call you is my first question, George or Georgina? You can call me George. Pretty much everyone does. George. Okay, I will do that. (laughs) That's what I have called you before. Um, So, George, (laughs) let's get started. We've got – we're going to do things slightly differently today. Um, We'll start with our icebreaker questions that we always do and then I'm going to let you introduce yourself (laughs) um, because I think that would be really uh, a a different way of doing things and a a way that we can get to know a bit of your background, et cetera. 
Okay, so the first question I have for you is when the pandemic is over and we can travel again, where do you want to go and why, George? Oh, well, many, many places, but I think for this, I think I've picked Japan for the moment. It's probably the first place I'd like to go. Um, I haven't been to before. I'd love to, I've always wanted to go to Japan. I think it's a great place to travel with my kids and um, I kind of also feel they're owed a bit of tourism post the Olympics that they didn't have. So <laughs> but I they, think got we all us, are. they got us through, they, yeah, everyone is, but they got us through a good part of our lockdown, early part of our lockdown with those great Olympics. And so I think I'd love to take my kids to see the rest of the country. So good. I haven't been either and it's my husband's favourite country and so I really want to go as well um, for the food, for the the beautiful scenery, the people. It's very clean apparently. So, yeah, yeah, I'm with you on Japan and that makes total sense. Good on you. Um, And the second question for you is if you could have a superpower, what would it be and why? Uh, uh, I think I'm saying this correctly, apparition from my the Harry Potter that I watch and listen to with my son so that I could get places faster and be slightly less late because I wouldn't have to do the transit <laughs> time. Remind me of that because I have seen. So I think it's just the ability to, well, what I meant was the ability to travel in time, travel, travel from one place to another immediately. So that's what I would like to be able to do so that I don't have to have uh, the commute to one place to another. That's so cool. It's so boring in the car, isn't it? Unless you're listening to the podcast, of course. Yes. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> okay, brilliant. Oh, that's good. Um, and the final question is, what is your connection to the concept of the square peg in the round hole? Sure. Well, I'm personally um, dyslexic and dysgraphic, and so I have um, a neurodivergencies myself, and I also work for Spelled New South Wales, which is an organisation that works to support kids and adults that have specific learning difficulties. So both personally and professionally, and um, as I'm sure we'll come to later in my broader family. Brilliant. Can't wait to hear more. So you're a peg. (laughs) I'm a peg, (laughs) proudly. Well, I really, I think that this, we haven't talked about these types of conditions like dyslexia and and these things um, yet, but I do really feel it, it um, very much links to the concept of the square peg and the round hole, doesn't it? It's a very prevalent things and, and it's about not trying to bash that peg to fit <laughs> into the environment. It's about changing the environment, which is very much about the concept. And about, and about understanding yourself as well. Yes, right, exactly, exactly. Fantastic. All right, well, let's move on to that. So as I mentioned, um, I haven't done an introduction for you already, so people won't know anything about you. (laughs) Um, If you could please tell us a little bit about your life growing up and also your professional life and your family, which you've just alluded to, and, and just give us sort of where, how did you get to where you are today? Sure. Um, so I was very lucky growing up. I had a lot of, um, parental support from both my mum and my dad and I've got a lovely younger sister Victoria um, and we had a really close family I um, particularly in my early years struggled a little with school there's a number of things I found hard um, and um, yeah and and my parents were, were, were quite keen to see if they could get me assessed to see if there was something going on with my learning um, the school wasn't massively keen and they ended up assessing me privately um, and then I found out, and I think it was year four or year five, that I had dyslexia and dysgraphia. Um, 
I have um, regularly, many people who know me will have heard this story, but uh, that was one of the best days I think that I can remember in my childhood because that was the day that I learned out, I learned I wasn't stupid and there was a reason things were hard. Um, so knowing that about myself um, was such a really powerful thing for me. I went on to do quite well at school and then I studied law at university um, and having an understanding about how my brain worked and what was going to be hard and what was going to be easy um, really helped me forge a path um, that allowed me to combine both my skills and my interests. Um, I then was a lawyer for almost 20 years, both a corporate lawyer and in pro bono, um, in a pro bono practice at a large law firm. Um, during this time, I was on the board and worked with a range of charities in a voluntary position. I always wanted to um, make a contribution through my professional work. Um, and then ultimately, soon after my son was diagnosed with dyslexia when he was in year one, um, I saw the role of um, executive officer as spelled New South Wales being advertised and thought, well, that is just my dream job. And thankfully, was very lucky to uh, apply and get the role. And I've been at Spelled now for just over four years. So you've got a lawyer background, not a T. I thought you were no. going to say you had a teaching background. No, you no, I no. think that. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a lawyer who has massively geeked out on all things education and literacy and learning. Because of your own lived experience and yeah, passion and for my, it. And because yeah, my son. And, yep. Wow. Um, you know, literacy is a human rights. Um, that my, my background in terms of charities and the not-for-profit sector is really a human rights focus. That's what I was really interested in at law school and I did a lot of work. I was on the board of Amnesty International Australia for 10 years um, so I have a human rights background, but the reason, um, other than my personal history and family story, um, is why I'm at Spelled is because I would like, you know, every child has the right to learn to read and write and to be numerate. And so that's what we're all about. Um, it's, it's dyslexia is something that is definitely very prevalent in my family. We've got my son, we've got me, my father, although I think he was undiagnosed, but it's pretty clear yeah. that he was dyslexic and my paternal uncle Gavin who hi Gavin if you're listening um has had dyslexia <laughs> cool I hope you are listening Gavin <laughs> make sure lots of other people listen too yeah wow that's um that's interesting I love that link between the human right to an education and and to be able to learn to read and how you've got this human rights background that's moved into something like this. This is something I did not expect you to say. <laughs> wow, that's so good. Excellent. Um, how many kids have you got? Two. So one who's in year six and one who's in kindy. Oh, okay. Yep, cool. Right. Oh, so you're going through all of the um, experiences of, and now you're about to switch into high school as well. Interesting times. Been through that. <laughs> Oh, well, that's very interesting. Thank you so much for giving us a bit of your background, um, unexpected. Now let's start talking about what we're here to talk about. Um, George, please could you explain to us what actually are learning disabilities? Are they even referred to that way? I mean, what is the correct language to use when referring to these conditions? Uh, there's a range of different language you can use. Um, what they're called under the DSM-5, the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual, is specific learning disorders. Um, and the reason we say specific is quite powerful because it's actually the impact is in a specific area. So if you have dyslexia, it's a specific learning disorder in reading. So it affects your ability to, to learn to read. But it doesn't necessarily affect any of your other academic skills. 
Yeah. Um, and if you've got dysgraphia, that affects your um, ability to learn to read, to spell and to write and potentially the motor side uh, of writing with handwriting difficulties as well can be combined in there. Um, and then if you've got dyscalculia, then you've got a specific learning disorder in maths, which affects your um, ability to learn to be numerate and your mathematical abilities. And so students that have dyscalculia might be really strong readers, writers and spellers, but might have really great difficulties in maths and vice versa. Mm. Um, and so that's word specific is quite um, important because that's a real characterization of how they impact students' learning. But essentially they are a group of learning disorders or disabilities or difficulties um, that mean that students have difficulty developing their literacy and numeracy skills. Okay. Um, whether or not you say I have a specific learning disorder in reading or I have dysgraphia is really up to the individual. So I tend to describe myself as dyslexic and dysgraphic, um, but it's very much up to the individual how they those use those terms. I think there's not huge sensitivity within this in the community about language, but there is different language and it's really important to be aware that, um, and that's one of the confusions. Sometimes you'll get a psychologist report with it, which is a diagnostic report that will say, this is a student with a specific learn, learning disorder in reading and the family mm. won't understand that what that means is dyslexia. And so that's yes. one of the things that's really important to understand is those interchangeable terms there. Um, and some people do, from a professional perspective, prefer one or another and from a personal perspective, prefer one or another. Well, that's really important to understand. And so are there any other disses? There's, you've mentioned dysgraphia, dyslexia, dyscalculia. Um, what about dyspraxia? Yeah, so dyspraxia is a um, difficulty with motor planning and organisation. I am not at all an expert in that space because it's not a learning disorder. It's a dis means is a prefix which means difficulty. So it is an area of difficulty, but it's not one that I've got any particular strong knowledge about. Okay. So I don't like to step outside my um, area and, and purport to talk about things that I, I, I can't. Of course, yes. No, I just wondered. There's no, there's no. So it's really just those three. Yeah, yeah that's the three that. Okay, and um, my next question. Well, I just had a question that came into my head while you were talking, which was you mentioned that not everyone who has dysgraphia will have dyscalculia, and you know, you, you could have all or none or one. Is there any sort of pattern there in terms of are you more likely to have the two literacy ones and not the maths one? Does that make sense as a question? I don't know the figures, but I suspect that the two literacy ones commonly overlap. Um, but you do come across students all the time that will have a combination of the different specific learning disorders. The other thing that you will also see is students that have other um, difficulties or disabilities, um, there's a huge comorbidity between dyslexia and ADHD, which is as high as 50%. Yes, um, right. Students, there's not necessarily a correlation between students who, who have autism spectrum disorder and, and specific learning disorders, but there is definitely a crossover. And also there's a, there is definitely a crossover also with students that have language disorders. And so um, students can have a specific learning disorder and another dif difficulty or disability. Mm, I want to get into that a bit more. It becomes a bit complicated and complex, I get it, but it's important to sort of have an understanding, I think, a basic understanding as a parent especially about what, you know, how these things kind of present and what they look like. 
Okay, that does lead into the next question, which is about being misdiagnosed or understanding what you're seeing in the early years. So I hear, not this hasn't really been my own personal experience, but I do hear people talking about it a lot, that these learning differences or learning difficulties can be missed or misdiagnosed in the early years. You hear it a lot about dyslexia, don't you? Um, what are the long-term issues that this leads to or what sort of what are the problems that you're seeing in this area of diagnosis? Absolutely and I think it's because these are students that go to school not understanding they have a difficulty or a disability. They have had um, a a preschool education that would be very similar to other preschool educations. There might have been a few red flags and looking back on my son's preschool education I can see the things that I now know were red flags but they weren't significant enough to have an impact on how he participated in his preschool education and so they go to school expecting to learn to read just like their sisters or brothers or peers um, and then they have this difficulty with either numbers or words or letters um, that's completely unexpected and also might be particular to just you know they're, they're great at maths but they have a bit of difficulty with their reading um, and so it's because there isn't, and that's why schools are just so important. To, and this why it's so important that schools and teachers understand about the specific learning disorders because teachers are such an important group of people in helping identify these difficulties. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we do at Spelled is a lot of teacher professional learning and we always find that teachers are very keen to learn more about specific learning disorders because they're not really given enough information when they're at university to understand the impact that they can have in the classroom and the prevalence that might be in their classroom. So that was a bit of a sidestep. But what you asked was the long-term impact. We're going to unpack that a lot more because I, I just know that the, that was coming because it's one thing, one message that has got out there too the rest of the world um, is I've heard about the, how important these early years are and I've heard these things about the learn, um, the phonics testing and things like that. You know, oh. you hear um, of different organisations that are really focusing on that and so that's why I asked that question about, you know, what it's, what's happening in the early years. Can you describe to, um, I guess, think you're talking to parents, what sorts of things would they see as red flags? You mentioned red flags, but what are those red flags? Yeah, so in the preschool years, it's a little bit more amorphous, but what you might see is maybe um, a slight delay in language or um, some maybe some early speech difficulties. That doesn't necessarily mean the student will have a specific learning disorder. It's just there is a correlation there. Um, one area that you might see is they might have difficulty developing some of these very early literacy skills. So learning the letter sounds, being able to blend sounds together. In preschool, that might look like a difficulty with rhyming, which is an which is an earlier phonological awareness skill, but not all students will. Um, so, or even just with students who, you know, in the preschool years, um, uh, literacy and numeracy instruction is very much student-led um, um, that's very much the early education approach to those sorts of things and so maybe it's just a lack of interest in engaging in those tasks um, but then when we get to school what we start to see is that students um, who struggle um, with learning letter sound relationships the ability to blend sounds together to learn words um, an inaccuracy in word reading or a slowness and a lack of, um, with this for the literacy side of things, a um, lack of fluency in developing their reading skills. And so 
we look for students that are slower than their peers in developing those skills. And one of the things that is sometimes said with the literacy difficulties is, you know, things like just give them a little bit longer, they're young for the year, or they're a boy and boys take a bit longer, or we just have to find a book that they're interested in. Um, those are the sorts of things that we think um, shouldn't be said in relation to someone's developing someone's literacy skills. If you're um, concerned about a student developing literacy skills um, throughout kindergarten and in year one and they don't seem to be um, becoming a reader as quickly as their peers or as quickly as their siblings might have, then it's definitely worth talking to your cl the classroom teacher. And if that doesn't, if you're not feeling like you're hearing answers at that point, if the teacher doesn't really know the answers, then talk to either the learning support teacher or the assistant principal or the principal. In the early mm. years, um, it's really important to get onto literacy and numeracy difficulties because early intervention, as with all sorts of early intervention, is so effective um, and you can really um, have a much bigger, you know, not, not much bigger impact, you can have a really big impact with, with early intervention. Saying that, for students of any age, um, literacy and numeracy interventions are definitely worth undertaking and we know very many you know high schoolers or students in upper primary who have undertaken a literacy intervention for the first time and really seen some great gains in their literacy or numeracy um, but yeah um, we want to make sure that you know to the extent possible we, we pick kids early that are struggling. Is there any particular age that they would be at where you would be like no I've I really my gut feel is that there's something going on here, but now they're going into year three, for example, and, yeah, is, is there sort of a cut-off mark or is it just to, to go with your own sort of gut feel of what's not right, as you just I, described? I think parents often do have a very strong gut feel and I think actually one of the things we've seen is with this lockdown, although we're still just coming out of this one, but definitely we saw out of the last one, parents were very um, aware of how the difficulties their students were having, their children were having with learning in the lockdown because they could see right in front of them the areas that they were struggling. So we run a, a free parent phone line for parents who can call in to ask for help and support or information or suggestions or referrals to tutors. And we were, you know, really flooded with calls after were the lo you? last lockdown. Oh. Yeah. Um, and we're expecting that. I think, I think, you know, we'll see probably not quite as many because um, a lot of families have, have, you know, taken some steps forward, but I think we'll see a similar um, awareness out of this lockdown. Um, I think there's two really typical presentations of particularly the literacy difficulties. One is a student in kindergarten who is very, it's very plain that they're struggling from the beginning. They find all literacy tasks hard and they're really not acquiring the skills, both the word reading and the phonics skills that, that you would expect them to have. So it's really obvious very early on that they're struggling. And another another presentation of, of literacy difficulties, um, which is also quite typical, is a student who, um, particularly one who's in what we call a whole language classroom, so not so much a classroom that uses a lot of explicit phonics instruction, um, they can very much appear like they're reading and very much use all the context clues and their strong oral language skills to look like they're reading and then then we start seeing them having difficulties in year three and four. So it's quite common for students to be identified around that year three and four mark. Um, we're optimistic with tools such as the phonics check um, and the change that the New South Wales and uh, that Ness is making to the syllabus in New South Wales to make it include much more phonics and be much more explicit 
will help us identify students a lot earlier in New South Wales. But at the moment, we definitely do have a group of kids that it's not until year three or four that we realise how much they're struggling with literacy. Mm. Again, a message I have heard. So that's really good that you've sort of outlined what that is. Thank you. Awesome. Um, And just moving on to teachers and how they approach the adjustments. I understand there would be some complexities involved with multiple learning disabilities and neurodivergent condition, other neurodivergent conditions. Um, For example, how do teachers approach, and you alluded to this before, adjustments for a child who, for example, would have ADHD and dyscalculia compared to a child that may be autistic and dyslexic or, you know, those kinds of combinations. Is there something that um, that teachers do to approach those differently? Yeah. So I think this when we're talking about the specific learning disorders, there's two things we need to keep in mind. One is that we want to be seeing students getting intervention. And by intervention, I mean additional support and instruction in the classroom and ideally outside the classroom with learning support um, to help them improve their literacy and numeracy skills. It's not just about making changes to how the classroom operates so that they're better able to function. One thing we're very much looking forward to for whatever age um, the student is, is for them to have some additional support so that they can improve their literacy and numeracy skills. Almost all students who have a specific learning disorder can see some improvement in their literacy and numeracy skills with specific interventions and intensive support. So that's one thing we're looking for. The other thing we are looking for, particularly once kids pass out of um, the early years of K-2 when there's not an assumption that students are able to be fully literate and numerate to access the curriculum, once we get into year three plus where there is an assumption that kids can read what you put in front of them, Um, is that we want to see some adjustments. We want to see changes to how the classroom operates so that students can access the learning and that they can demonstrate their learning. Now, that's what I'm looking for for a student with specific learning difficulties. Of course, students are complex beings and often have more than one um, difficulty or disability or more than one neurodivergent condition. Um, They also bring their personalities and their selves to the equation. And so it is very much planning for adjustments an individual thing you know Um, you need to have that conversation you know with the family with the student and plan for what's going to suit them best Um, one you know a few specific examples is you need to think about if you have a student who has a language disorder are you using an intervention that is heavy in language are you expecting them to understand large amounts of language in order to access that intervention that's going to be challenging for them. You might need to think about ways to just simplify and and um, condense the language so that they're not spending all of their energy attending to the, the language that they're hearing and can attend to the literacy learning. So, you know, or if we've got a student with ADHD, how, how do they, how do you engage their intention? How do you engage their, um, you know, what's best for them in terms of learning? Do they need some movement? Do they need movement breaks? Is the morning better than the afternoon? Once again, lots of language might not be best for those learners. But once again, as we know, it's going to be very individual. So I think if you're supporting a student who has a specific learning disorder, you need to think about what else is going on for them and think about what does that mean? How do I change what might be the typical support to be accessible for them, considering all of the things that they bring. 
I can imagine it's really hard and challenging for teachers, you know, but there are multiple barriers and if you only address the barriers associated with the ADHD, for example, but then they are still not receiving adjustments or access to technologies for the dyslexia, then you're only doing half of the half of the thing. Yeah, it is a really complex picture for teachers and hopefully they can get support um, within school and further professional learning and we're, of course, there to provide support for teachers that are struggling. If you want to reach out to us, if you're not sure how to support the, your students, we're happy to hear from you. Um, but, yeah, it is it is very much about understanding your student um, and the impact that the, their disabilities have. Absolutely right. That's that's fantastic. And obviously, I'm going to put all the links to spelled and what what other whatever um, other resources you suggest um, for me to add. Definitely. Um, and this spelled in just before we move on, just a question that I had in my head while you were talking. There's so much to ask you about. I'm just realising. Um, Speld is in other states. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I work for the Speld in New South Wales, but there's um, Dyslexia Speld Foundations in WA. There's one in there's a Speld in Queensland, Victoria, and South Australia. Um, there's not one in the ACT, Tassie, or the Northern Territory, but families and teachers in those states feel free to reach out to your closest Speld. I'm sure we I know we'd be happy to help you. Awesome. Great. Yes. Okay. Well, we'll I'll put all the, those links in. Um, so I understand there are a number of technologies that children with learning difficulties can access. Can you talk about some of those and the situations that they may be used in? Absolutely. So these are technologies that are aimed at giving students access. Most of them are literacy-based difficulties. Uh, most, of the, most of the ones I'll talk about relate to literacy difficulties, but we've got technologies that are technologies that read text to students and so they could be as simple as a, a text-to-speech program on your computer it could be a c pen which is a little portable device that you can use to highlight text and it reads that to you um, not not computerized text printed text um, you can also get um, bigger form optical character recognition devices where you take say a photo with an ipad and it converts that page into uh, speech um, and you can also get a range of other pdf readers there's a really wide range of devices um, many of and, and programs many of which are inbuilt within the device that you've got so you know your iphone and your laptop come with those technologies built in as part of their accessibility platform so always explore those ones first before you go out and look further um, that can read text to students who are unable to either accurately or fluently read that text to themselves. Um, so that's a great accessible, those are great accessibility tools. The next set of tools are speech to text, where you can talk to your computer or your device and essentially dictate what you want to say. Um, that is, asked, uh, I think, I think you know, and, and most computers and iPads and phones have those things built into them. Um, I must say one of the things that we hear all the time is that many, many students, including those that are highly literate, are starting to use those technologies just because they actually make things easier. It's a lot easier to speak a page of text if you're, if you're not a touch typer than write it. But that is a, that those technologies are really great for students who are not strong um, spellers and find the writing composition process quite challenging. Um, I would say just for families that are looking to start with those technologies, they're all 
um, ones that need practice and learning. So allow the time for students to have a go, see what works with them, see what they like. Um, some students may prefer one technology type rather than other. For example, um, you know, if you're not a strong speller, you might prefer a predictive spelling program rather than speech to text, or you might prefer um, using a, a more detailed spell checker such as Grammarly than speech to text, or you might really like speech to text. There's a range of different approaches you can take. And I think the technological solutions that students adopt is very individual, can be very individualized. And that's one of the things that as kids transition from primary school into high school, that they can really start finding the way that they like working best. Mm. Yeah, I know that I can relate to that myself with my older son. He just was using, I think it was Grammarly, just someone must have shown him how to use it and he was telling me about it and he's not diagnosed with a with dyslexia or anything like that. Um, and then my other son, I can see, I, I believe he's got dysgraphia but I, nothing's diagnosed. So oh. here's me talking to you and I'm like, geez, I need to, <laughs> I need to get some help here. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I can see how it's about not just having access to these technologies but knowing how to use them, which are the right ones to use. Where do people, you know, I mean I understand not all teachers are sort of up on all of this and that, you know, it's not it's not everyone's strength to know all about all of these kinds of things. I guess learning support would be there to help but how do you sort of suggest going about it? Is it something that you would get a tutor from Spelled or somewhere like that to help with? What? What? Yeah. So um, I think there is, um, so a number of the Spelleds have um, got some great um, information and advice about assistive technology. We're, we're going to be actually publishing some more detailed information probably at this point early next year. Um and then there's also a range of other businesses um, that can provide support to students who want to set up assistive technology. One that um, I know we've got in Australia that does a nice job is atapps.com.au. Um, that's a um, that's that's a, one of the many options that do exist. There's also um, it's also a matter of just having a look on the websites of the device that you use and looking up accessibility options because um, if you've got an iPad and that's what you use in class then finding the accessibility options that are available and native in the iPad is definitely a good way to go um, but if you're using a Chromebook then you want to use the ones that come with Chromebooks so all the computer companies are now pretty good at actually um, building in videos and, and information on how to use those accessibility features and so just starting there is a really easy place to start and then just giving um, the student enough time and space to um, try and work out what suits them best. Um, another set of, you know, another sort of thing that's a really good tool to, to try and play around with and see if it suits is mind mapping um, to help plan for writing because if you have difficulty with the organisation of your writing, as you get into high school and have to write longer pieces, you can use mind map software to to brainstorm and then to reorganize your ideas into a structure and actually some of the mind map software you can actually take that out and export it into a word document and then you've got you know your frame of your writing all already planned and organized um, and that can be easier for kids who have um, those difficulties planning longer pieces of writing. And that's that's what dysgraphia well that's part of what dysgraphia is isn't it it's the planning of the and, and and the organisation, and then being able to deliver the ideas out of your head onto the paper. 
Absolutely. So, so dysgraphia is a difficulty with writing. Writing is a really complex thing. Putting a, putting a piece of, uh, putting, you know, putting together a page long story or article or information report about something is one of the hardest things we ask kids to do. You've got to have the ideas. You've got to organize the ideas. You've got to organize the ideas into paragraphs, sentences. You've got to spell the words. You've got to punctuate the words. You've got to create the words whether you're typing them or handwriting them there's a lot of individual things that you have to be able to do to um, successfully write and so one of the things we would encourage um, students with dysgraphia to do is not try and do all of that in their brains it's going to be too hard to do all of that organizing and planning and that whole all of those individual steps now not all students who have dysgraphia struggle with the organization planning some 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 students difficulty focuses on the spelling some on the grammar some on the organization planning some on a range of those things Um, but if you try if you take those writing individual writing tasks and you do them outside your brain on pieces of paper on technology on mind map software on a using a whole lot of post-it notes if that's what suits you best um, that's one way to um, organise and plan your writing um, and in a way that you, you may achieve some more success. So interesting because, as you said before, um, working with the kids at home over these last few months, that's where I've really noticed it. You know, the ideas are there but it's the getting it out and getting it written and I just take it for granted that you know I guess with age and over the years I just can just type up an answer I know what they want to hear you know what I mean he can't do that so it's very and that's the thing the specific one of the biggest myths about the specific learning difficulties is that it's it's anything to do with intelligence it's got nothing to do with intelligence it's a difficulty with that particular skill so if the difficulty is with planning and organizing writing that doesn't mean that they can't have the ideas and ultimately write some beautiful writing they just need the support to be able to go through that planning and organizing process and learn how to do that best for themselves and you see that there's part of that that's ADHD and part of that that's dysgraphia and it just becomes a big can of worms that is- that's, that's where some of those complex interactions happen. It's sometimes hard to tell whether the impact on the planning and organising is ADHD or if it's the dysgraphia. Fascinating. And I see his teacher as well. This is the other thing we've been exposed to as parents to doing the home learning is I can see her doing the scaffolding. I can see she starts the sentences for him and all these things and she's just brilliant. And, you know, a lot of the teachers I find I see them doing it. I can see what they're trying to do. Yeah, and Absolutely. And to begin with, with the writing, it's great and that sounds like a great support that that teacher's providing. Um, and then over time your son can learn to scaffold his own writing. Yes, that's the idea, isn't it? Well, back over to her now to help him with that. <laughs> My time is over, <laughs> thank goodness. <laughs> oh, We're all very pleased to um, acknowledge the skill and hard work that our teachers provide um, our students. <laughs> I know it's been said before, but of course, of course, of course, my goodness. Um, Okay, so let's move on um, to talk about advocacy, which is how I met you. Um, I've seen you involved with advocacy before on some of the reference groups that I'm also involved with, um, with the Department of Education and things like that. What are the challenges that are faced by the learning difficulty disability community? Do you have messages 
um, for the community in regard to learning disabilities or differences. For example, with ADHD, the message is that it's not a behavioural disorder, rather an executive functioning or self-regulating condition. Are there similar messages and or misconceptions or myths that need to be addressed when it comes to learning differences? Um, so, yeah, absolutely. The messages that we are constantly talking about are the fact that it's really important to identify difficulties with literacy or numeracy early um, because the earlier intervention can be provided, the better. Um, we're also talking about the benefits of explicit and systematic instruction. So for, for literacy, we were looking for ex- explicit systematic synthetic phonics instruction um, and the importance of that in ensuring that all students are taught to read and spell and to write and that students who have those difficulties are picked up nice and early. Um, and we're also frequently talking about the importance of ensuring that intervention for literacy and numeracy difficulties provide to students of all ages. That's very concise and very clear. Thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. I thought there might be more. Oh, there's, there's, I could talk for hours and hours about just the difficulties with specific, you know, the difficulties that students with specific learning difficulties have. But I think um, those are some of the key messages and the key difficulties that we see. Right. Yes. Well, very good. Thank you for explaining that. And I wanted to, without, you know, we talk a lot deficits and a lot of difficulties and challenges and things that are hard, but are there also some strengths that come with being neurodivergent in this way um, that, you know, you know, that you see in children with learning difficulties and, um, you know, where, to, where should we focus these, these strengths in life? Is there any learnings that you've got there? Look, I, I think I personally stay away a little bit from looking at the specific strengths that might come with dyslexia or the other specific learning difficulties because the reality that the lived experience of many of the people in our community is that it is they don't see it as a strength um they see it as a challenge um but saying that just because those students or those young adults have those challenges doesn't mean they don't have many other strengths um, and that's one of the things that will come up often is is the ability to, you know, is the, the fact that, you know, as families, as parents supporting young students who are finding one area of their learning may be hard at the moment, um, is to focus on their strengths, to focus on those other things that they do really well and to give them that space to feel successful and to feel really, um, to feel really, you know, yeah, to feel really successful in something is really important. Um, I think, I think, you know, personally, I would say that having dyslexia and dysgraphia has um, taught me a lot of perseverance, um, which I would consider a, a strength now. Um, but, you know, running out of classroom in year eight because the spelling test was just really too hard for me um, didn't feel like a strength at the time. So, um, you know, saying that, just because you have dyslexia, dysgraphia or dyscalculia, my message would be um, please um, know that interventions exist. Please know that support can be given and that you can improve your skills, even if it takes you longer than you'd like. Um, and um, there is a big community of people who are keen to support you if you are a young person um, finding those challenges, those, those conditions or those just difficulties mm. difficult. We often hear about famous people as well. 
don't we? You know, Jamie Oliver and Richard Branson and all those people, they're all dyslexic, I I understand. You know, you hear rumours, I don't know. No, no, no. I think they are, aren't they? There's a huge number of people in a a huge range of different professions that have a specific learning disorder. Um, And I suppose that's the thing, just because you find reading hard, just because numbers don't work as well for you as they do for your siblings or peers, doesn't mean that you can't be successful in the things that you choose to do. Um, It's a difficulty but it's a specific difficulty and there's lots of lots of opportunities for you to both improve that area but also to focus on your strengths and interests as well. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, and look to those people as role models. That's great. Um, and just before we finish, can you tell us now a little bit more about SPELLED and, well, first of all, can you tell us what it stands for and the service that the, that the, the organisation offers the community? Sure. Well, to begin with, SPELLED stands for Specific S-P-E-L-D Learning Difficulties. So it's a it's a kind of an acronym. Um, oh, okay. I know. Yep. <laughs> I always wondered It's that. a little bit of an unusual um, name for an organisation that supports people who have literacy difficulties. But nonetheless, it's what we've got and we've, been, we've had that name for over 50 years. So I think we're sticking to it. Um, and there's many spelled or sped organisations in Australia and around the world as well. So it is a commonly known name. Um, so we, all the spelleds are a little bit different, but for spelled New South Wales, we have a range of support for parents and that support includes a free parent info line. So parents can contact us, we'll ring you or email you back and provide you with information or advice or a referral to a specialist tutor. Um, we have a um, we run a series of parent webinars that we run the same ones every term so feel free to come and have a look at our website um, if you want to access more information about learning difficulties in a webinar format Ozspell the Australian parent organization for um, all the spells has produced an understanding learning difficulties guide which is a written guide with lots of information for parents. There's a teacher version and a parent version, but the parent version um, is available and it's on uldforparents.com, which I'm sure Lou can put in the the notes if anyone needs to get that link. It's a great, it's a really great place if you want to start reading a little bit more about signs and supports and other things if you're worried about your um, child's literacy or numeracy. Um, and then Spelled also offers diagnostic assessments of specific learning disorders. So that's our parent support. And then for teachers and schools, we do a lot of teacher education, both on evidence-based literacy and numeracy instruction and also in understanding how best to support students who have specific learning disorders. We also sell um, readers, decodable readers, phonics-based readers into school and are available for schools to provide consultation and support if they want to make some changes in how they support their students. Geez, that's a lot, isn't it? <laughs> We're yeah. a busy, passionate team. Yeah, that's really fantastic. And you're well known. You know, I, I knew about you well before I got into any of this. So, um, oh, I knew about Spelled. It's It's got a good brand and, um, and a pretty good, clear understanding of what it it's about which is yeah. great yeah and we're I don't think I don't know if I mentioned we're a charity so we're a not-for-profit oh you are a charity yeah. right yeah yeah I wondered about that okay okay well thank you that's a really good um, outline and I'll obviously go back and find out what all the links are so that I can link all of that in for for parents um finally very finally 
Do you have, I ask this of a lot of guests, especially people like you who are experts in a certain area and uh, people listening sometimes I think, I know when I listen to podcasts, you want, you sometimes think, um, oh, I wonder what books they would send me to or what other resources or whatever. So, you know, do you have any mentors in the field or are there books and resources or I guess audio books as well? <laughs> I love audio books. So do I. <laughs> um, that you would, you know, share with listeners where they can find more information out or can you also tell us of good Facebook groups or support groups or anything like that? Yes, there is so many. So um, let's think. So one audiobook that I was one of the first audiobooks in this space that I listened to that is also a book book as well um, was Proust and the Squid by Marianne Wolf, who is an American academic which is just a lovely story about the re- reading brain um, and is quite a nice listen as a podcast as, a, as an audiobook um, that's one I recommend there's a lot there's a lot of books in this space um, you can look at Stanislaus oh my goodness apologies Stanislaus Lester Hayne um, books but they are quite um, challenging reads and so potentially better suited to a professional audience and a parent's audience but Preston's Good's a lovely read. Um, one great place that I always recommend um, both families and teachers go is Emily Hanford's podcast. There's a series of podcasts that started off with one called Hard Words um, which is really um, a fabulous um, insight into um education, literacy instruction, students who have difficulties with reading and other literacy skills. So um, highly recommend that group of podcasts. Um, in terms of Facebook groups, there's a lot. Um, Dyslexia Support Australia is a really, is a very, very large group and is a very um, evidence-based group. And there's also um, one in Queensland and in New South Wales and in Victoria that are um, of similar names, so the Victorian, New South Wales and Queensland are smaller groups, slightly less active, but although the Victorian group is very active, um, are really great places for parents to go for support. There are many teachers in those groups as well. Um, if you're a teacher wanting to learn more about um, reading um, and literacy instruction, I would look for Think Forward Educators as well as what the spells offer as well as the Reading Sciences in Schools Facebook group. Um, there's a huge community of people that are keen to support teachers and parents in this space. So um, do get in touch with your local Spelled or one of those Facebook groups if you're keen. And that will help guide you to, to those. And I'll have to get them all from you later and add them into the show notes so people know where to go. And I heard you mention they're evidence-based. I know I did ask you about myths. You skirted over <laughs> yeah, it. Did I? Oh, apologies. Sorry for that. Uh, well, I think uh, I suppose it's less of a myth these days for the way I perceive it as more as there is a very there's very clear evidence that there is that how we best learn to read. And that is that tells us that students um, really benefit from instruction around phonics. And there's also great evidence about how students learn to learn best learn to learn and that involves explicit instruction and frequent opportunities for practice um, and so that leads us to an understanding of the fact that actually um, the best way that students can become literate is by participating in what we would call systematic synthetic phonics instruction in their early years um, and that as the basis for both classroom instruction and intervention. So things like and I know you're not going to say anything you 
can't say here, but things like the purple glasses or the coloured glasses and the tracking and the other funny things you hear about. Yeah. Do you want to talk about those? No, I'm very happy to talk about those. Okay. Um, they come out from they come from an understanding that reading is to do with how your eyes work. And obviously you need to be able to see to read printed words on a page. Um, obviously the um, vision impaired and blind community have, you know, different approaches to reading. But if we're talking about the community that reads printed words on the page, we need to be able to see to read those words. Um, but once we can see those words, difficulties with reading aren't about how your eyes work. They're about how your brain processes the language um, and how your brain processes the sounds in words and the meaningful meaningful parts of words. And so we know that um, vision interventions or, or eye exercises or colour paper or colour lenses are not the things that are going to teach a student that has difficulty with reading to become a reader. Um, what you need is an intervention that focuses on teaching them those reading skills. Okay. Thank you very much for speaking to that because I know there are a lot of funny woohoo things around. Yeah, and it's very important for families to make sure that the, the interventions they're taking part in are evidence-based um, and, you know, we would encourage them to check in with either an evidence-based peer support group or with a you know, local spelled or have a look at that Understanding Learning Difficulties Guide um, because we don't want to waste the time of their students, the time and the money of your your your, your time and money and your, your child's or student's time in spending time on intervention that's not going to help them. It's going to, first of all, mean it takes longer to get to an evidence-based intervention, but it's also going to frustrate them more and um, give them potentially a greater negative self-concept, which is, you know, one of the risks that we run of um, having the, you know, the mental health consequences of not becoming, not developing those literacy and numeracy skills can be significant and so we want to make sure as soon as we start to notice a different difficulty um, we look at you know evidence-based ways to support our kids. I'm so glad we made sure we covered that off because I've Absolutely. got a feeling that's a really important thing. Thank you so much that's that's fantastic. Is there anything else that you can think of before I sign us off from our chat um, that you want to say? Uh, no, I think I think we've covered a lot of ground this afternoon. Um, I would just, I think I've said it a number of times before, um, hopefully people have found it help, helpful this afternoon and given them a bit more information. But if they uh, need more support or more information, whether they're a teen or an adult dealing with learning difficulties, a parent, a teacher, um, anyone, um, there is a big community of people that are keen to support them. So please do reach out. Excellent. That's so good to know. I'm very reassured by that. Thank you so much, George. Um, Okay, well then, why don't I sign us off? Thank you so much for being on the Square Peg Round Hole podcast, George. Thanks so much, Lou. Lovely being here. Okay, signing us off. Bye, everyone. Acknowledgements. Thank you to Carla Cushell of Carla Cushell Creative for the podcast logo and the website. Images and episode quotes are the work of Jazzy C. Music is also by Jazzy C. Finally, a big thank you to my friends and family for encouraging me. 
As always, thank you to my partner in everything, Ash Kushel. And remember, just be nice to one another.